You are listening to the Zookeeper Stories Podcast with your host, Matthew Price. The goals of this show are to share the stories of animal care professionals around the world, give advice on how to get to the field, and share information that will help out new zookeepers. One of the most common questions people in our field are asked is, how did you get your job? I hope to shed some light on that question and many more by investigating the origin stories of the people on the front lines of the animal care world, the zookeepers. And welcome back, everybody. You are listening to episode three of the Zookeeper Stories podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Price, and this week, my guest is Rochelle Willison. She's been a zookeeper for 18 years and currently works on the primate team at the San Diego Zoo. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to reiterate to the listeners that the goal of this podcast is to tell the stories of the animal care professionals. We will not be discussing the specific policies and procedures of individual zoos. The views and opinions of myself and each guest do not necessarily reflect those of the zoos we work for currently or those we have worked for in the past. What's important here is the story of each guest. So let's go ahead and get started. How are you doing today, Rochelle? I'm really good. Nice. So you have quite a story. I know most of your recent history, but I don't know a lot of your before you came to the San Diego Zoo history. So I guess I like to start off generally with the guests and just talk, have them talk about how you came to fall in love with animals. Well, I think growing up, my dad was always really good about, uh, much to my mom's dismay, bringing animals <laughs> home. So we had crawdads, we had ponds, we had rabbits, we had chicks, we had anything. And so I think I got my love of animals then. How old were you when that oh, all started? Elementary school. Elementary, elementary school. school. But yeah. I, I actually remember, and, and knowing I was going to do this, it made me think back. But at, in eighth grade, doing vocabulary, I remember looking words up in the dictionary, and I saw herpetology. I think the reptiles are okay, but that wasn't my main focus. I'm like, there's got to be a name for what to do with, you know, mammals. And so after that, I had my goals. I always knew I wanted to work at the San Diego Zoo. I didn't live in San Diego. So what I started doing when I got a car at 16, I would drive here. It was a couple hours away, and I would go to any talks they had, and they told me I needed a degree, so I got a degree. Uh, I just kept applying from a distance after I got my degree. I did a lot of volunteering at like U.S. Fish and Wildlife, some animal sanctuaries, anything to put it on my resume. And still just kept coming every year to the San Diego Zoo, figuring at some point. But finally somebody told me, you just need to get your foot in the door. So I moved down here with $60 in my bank account, a waitressing job, and I started, <laughs> in, you know, lived wow. in San Diego and became a volunteer. That lasted a couple months. Um, I was told to just get my foot in the door because back then there just—it was 20 years ago. There were not a lot of job openings. We just people didn't leave the job. So I went to the job fair, worked in the gift shops, worked there for three years, did a couple animal loans, mostly birds, and it just got to the point where I, I knew I wasn't going to be allowed to do many loans because they were trying to sure. keep me in merchandising. So I finally just said, "Well, it's time to go out of state." So I applied and got my first job out of state. And went to Dallas for two years, and two years later, the San Diego Zoo hired me back, and I've been back ever since. All right, well, that's our episode, everybody. We already know <laughs> Shell's life story. Yeah, no, good to go. <laughs> so, so let's back up a little bit. So you were in elementary school, and you, um, you know, you're into chicks and everything that you guys had around your house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, you already you kind of knew that you wanted to do something with animals at some point yeah there was never really anything else i just didn't have a name for it yeah. so i just never thought about it until i started saw you know herpetology and i thought there is something i can do and then i just started looking into what i could do right so you were and you were in los angeles at the time la county LA the outskirts County. Of it. okay so then uh we go through elementary school high school like at this point in high school are you already starting to look at 
volunteer in docent programs or whatever that you can get into somehow to get your foot in the door at this point or I actually didn't start the volunteering till I was in college. Okay. But I don't remember telling people, but everybody kind of remembers years later now that I've moved away and haven't seen everybody in so many years. They're like, no, you always said you were going to work in the San Diego Zoo and you were going to be a zookeeper. <laughs> so for some reason, I just, and I don't even know why, I had the San Diego Zoo in my head and that was where I was going to work. So where did you go to school then? Where did you go to college then? Cal Poly Pomona. Cal Poly they Pomona. had a zoology okay. degree. Okay. And it was close to home. So right away after high school, you knew you were going for a zoology degree at that point. It was the only school I applied to. I got in. I think back and I thought I really didn't try other places. I knew what I wanted. I just thought, oh, I got to get in there. That's what I have to do. And I did. That's awesome. Very fortunate. So you were pretty directed right away then. So then while you were in college, you started doing some volunteering and Mm -hmm. and stuff. And that was at volunteering at the San Diego Zoo? No, I didn't do that till I moved here, but okay. I did do uh, the wildlife way station okay. on the outside of LA yeah, yeah. there too. Um, I did I did drive to San Diego for the um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Mm-hmm. I did as many projects like the close to home, but sure. that's what I did on my days off. It was anything I could do to get something on my resume. Okay, so then while after you finished college, did you start applying for keeper jobs right away at San Diego, or were you just like I just got to get there and I just have to be there? So you went ahead and went for. Um, you said the uh, gift shops. No, you went to be a waitress first, right down there. Waitressing right? put me through high or through college. Through college, okay. Um, because yeah, it works with the scheduling, and I was able to pay my way as I right. went. And my job actually was a chain. I could transfer down here, so I already okay. had a job. Got it. But I didn't actually start applying to the San Diego Zoo until after I had my after I've been out of college. Okay. It just I was doing it from a distance, and it was taking a couple of years, and I was starting to get impatient. So, like I either need to do it or stop. Right. So did you, were you, when you, before you got the gift shop or retail jobs, were you already applying for keeper jobs at that point or did you wait until after you were concurrently? Okay. And then somebody said, somebody who knew somebody on the board said, you know, she just needs to get her foot in the door because we have what they call the loan program at Mm -hmm. the San Diego Zoo. And so you have to actually be an employee to get those. And so that's Expand on that a little bit just to talk about like how the loan program works. You have to be a current employee. You have to be in good standing and your department has to agree to let you go on the loan. Mm -hmm. My first loan was, and it was within my first eight months, I think, of being at the San Diego Zoo, um, was doing animal food or bird food prep. I made all the bulk diets to put, you know, for small hornbills, big hornbills, everything else. And I made bulk every day, cut up (laughs) lettuce. I loved it actually. And then they would come down the next morning and pick up their bins and go and make their individual food pants. That's interesting. We, it, uh, I kind of wish somebody made our diets. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. It, it saved a lot of prep time because I was making big bulk of yeah. it. And what was nice, though, is when it came, because usually you interviewed for those types of things. And when a bird keeper position opened up as a loan, I wasn't even asked. They just called up my department and merchandising and said we would like her and the next day I got a call going to show up at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Now, mind you, this whole time I'm working two jobs. I never left the waitressing. I couldn't. It's seasonal with, you know, when I started with merchandising, it was, okay, you're here for the summer. We're going to decide how many of you we keep. And okay. I was fortunate they kept me, but it was still sometimes four hours a week. So I could never afford to not have my waitressing job. I've had a double job, <laughs> probably a lot of my time here at San Diego, even as a keeper. But you know, back then I kind of had to. And so it didn't, I just, you know, it was just my foot in the door. And it was really hard when I got the loans because I was doing 40 hours working at 6 a.m. and then working nights at the restaurant. Yeah, that was my next question was, so you got your loan and then you still had to work at the restaurant too. So you were working 60, some at least probably 60 hours a week. But and the fact that we start at 6 a.m., you're also going to a night job. So you probably didn't have a whole lot of 
free time like at all, huh? <laughs> I didn't. And that, I think back now I probably couldn't do it at my age, but you know, yeah. when you're younger and have more energy, it was tough. The first loan I knew was going to be five to six months. So I actually did quit the waitressing okay. job. I just took a leap of faith because I thought, well, I'll just get another waitressing job. Fortunately for me, they took me back at the um, restaurant I worked at. And they would let me work three days a week. And so I did that and I would be on call or work four days a week in the gift shops. But when it came time for the other, I was just told that the bird keeper loan was going to be for a month. It okay. turned into three. I thought I can handle it for a month. I won't get sleep, but I can handle it. Because, you know, we work late at night in the restaurants. But it turned into three. I was a zombie. <laughs> I was, people were like, what's wrong with him? Like, I'm just tired. Just don't mind me. But, <laughs> you know, that allowed me working those double jobs and working as a keeper pay allowed me to save the money that I later needed to move out of state because okay. I certainly didn't have that before that. While you were doing the loans, was there other keeper jobs that you applied for like after the loan or during the loan or any of that stuff? What was the point that you made you say, okay, it's, they, they clearly want somebody with a little bit more paid keeper experience. It's time for me to go find something so I can go do that and then come back if that opportunity presents itself. What happened was my home department was getting to the point when the the same departments were asking for me back. They were saying, no, we need her. And, you know, I, I just needed to get in the field. And so I got kind of tired of that. I didn't even start. I stopped applying for loans because I knew they weren't going to let me go and I didn't want to waste anybody's time. And so when I would talk to the people who I was on loan for, the lead, one of them told me, he says, you just, you don't have the experience. He goes, that's the only thing holding you back is you don't have the experience. Mm -hmm. You need the time in. And he says, um, let me talk to you, you know, because I know you're not a bird person. He goes, but you do a good job. He says, I'm going to talk to my zoo that I'm from, which was Houston's zoo. And he says, let me talk to them about you. And I said, great, I'll do whatever. You know, I just want to work with animals. And before that interview got set up, I just saw a posting for Dallas with his mammals. And I thought, well, Houston, Dallas, still away from San Diego. So let's just try it. And because there just weren't a lot of job openings at San Diego. There just wasn't. People didn't right, leave back right, then. Right, right, right. So I thought I can either sit here and do this for years and work two jobs, or I can just get off my butt and go make an effort outside and do what I have to do. Because I just basically said most of the time you do have to leave. And okay. so um, I just got the, the Dallas job right away. So this was back in, what, like 2000, early 2000s, or late 90s? You know, I left in uh, 99 and came back in 2001. Okay. So in the late 90s. You were into what's got you started on this whole path was, was herp herpetology. That was the word, the word you looked up. Yeah. <laughs> so word, yeah. you liked reptiles and then you worked with birds. So what was the job in Houston? Or sorry. Yeah. Houston? No, yes. Dallas. What was the job in Dallas that, that you got? Like what was that? Mammals, mostly hoofstock. Okay. Um, there were some caracals on the string, but and it was funny because the bird keepers who I got to be friends with looked at me and said, why do you want to go there and work with a bunch of cows? <laughs> I'm like, I, I just need to be in the field. Yeah. I said, I don't want to wait around anymore. And you know, I went there and I love those damn cows. <laughs> you know, Sable, Elon, there was just an amazing mix that we worked with over there. And and I loved it. I still wanted more variety. Right. Um, but And I still always had that desire to come back to San Diego. But I did love the animals that I worked with in Dallas. Okay. You worked with Hoofstock and stuff at Dallas. And then the job at San Diego, was that the, the carnivore job that you were working in? Yeah. When, what, what did you work when you first got back? What was the job that you applied for at San Diego? Um, and that you started working with. The areas have changed there. so much since yeah, yeah. since even you started. And I think sure. back to every couple of years, they did a major shift even since I've been there. I worked with Okapi too in Dallas. And that, I think, was what got me the interview in okay. the Aturi Forest, which mm -hmm. was basically just the Aturi string, which had a mixed species of primates, pigs, goats, and otters and such, and buffalo. And then the hippo string, which had Okapi and hippos. Yeah. And then we had the late shift. And so I got hired 
because I tend to be a coffee spring, but ended up becoming within four months primary of the Aturi spring for five years. Oh, wow. I've since moved around and done different areas. but Right. Uh, I think the first time that I really met you was when you were working as a tiger keeper. I had tapers. Ta- tigers and tapers. <laughs> we yes, tapers. we bonded over tapers. That's right. And then I was lucky enough to come in and meet two tiger cubs that were not too thrilled to see me, but it was a it was a fun experience. They weren't thrilled to be held by anybody. <laughs> <laughs> they were great when they weren't being held. But yeah, I was actually very fortunate. The four years I was a tiger keeper, we had two litters. Wow, amazing! I've also worked with koalas. I've worked mostly with koalas. You've worked a lot of different stuff, and now you're on the primate team, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And Okay, so I don't want to disparage any primates you work for, but I, I do know from some conversations with you that primates aren't necessarily your, your quote-unquote thing. Is that right? Or is there something that you wish you still worked with or something that you haven't gotten to work with yet that you want to? All animals worm their way into your heart. And so there's certainly a lot of primates that I just absolutely adore. But my preference would be a mixture like we used to have, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of everything. Um, but I love tapers. I, I could work with tapers. I could have a string of otters, and I would love that. I actually even approached my curator once, and I said, I just, I want a string of otters. Uh, giant <laughs> otters all the way down the little ones, you know. We can do this. And he's like, no, no, we can't. Um, but I would love to work bears. Yeah. I do like carnivores. But, you know, there's just certain primates that just, you know, that do it for you, too. Yeah. Uh, but I just would like the variety. I, I prefer to work with a different animals like we used to do when we were on teams and we had a lot of different things. And I think it made for um, a really great day. Yeah. Yeah, I miss the variety here. This is the first suit that I've worked at where everything's kind of compartmentalized. Like primates work primates, bird keepers work birds, you know, reptile people work reptiles. And my first string ever, you know, I had squirrel monkeys, uh, uh, a snowy owl, a duck pond, some snakes, uh, you know, so just a quaddy. So just like a wide variety. So I miss that too. But I I, I yeah, I just, I miss working like raptors especially, but I could not be just a bird keeper. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I just, I just couldn't do just, just birds. So. I think you miss a little bit. And we, you know, we have some really great mixed species exhibits yeah. at the zoo. So we do have a few things in our primate crop. We still have our buffalo, we have some pigs right, right. and the otters. And I think that just makes for a really great exhibit because they can interact and it, it's great for us, it's great for them. So I do miss that. And, you know, maybe one day they'll, they'll go back. I think they just make major shifts every few years and, we just hang on until yeah. we get yeah, back yeah. to what we want. So what's next? Like, do you foresee yourself, you know, kind of being in a similar role that you are now for the rest of your career? Are you happy where you're at? Um, kind of like that peaceful spot where uh, you're just you're just content. Or is there something something more that you want to do? Whether it's to do um, whether it's to move up the line to be you know a lead or a manager, or is it uh, do you want to do research? Is there something more that you're looking to do? 10, 15, 20 years before you retire eventually, or are you kind of at the spot where you want to be? I think I'm good. I really don't have a desire to mm-hmm. be in management. Yeah. I don't really want to not see the animals every day. Yeah. I get very attached to them, so I don't know what it would be like, and I, I don't think I can stay with meetings. <laughs> I think I need <laughs> to be on my feet, and meetings are just a little tedious. So, I, you know, I have no desire to really make any major changes. I would, again, like to have a bigger variety. But other than that, I think I'm quite content. That's awesome. Well, let's tell some stories. <laughs> People have been a little bit hesitant so far, but do you have any embarrassing stories that you, that you could tell? That maybe something that happened, you know, in front of a guest with an animal or uh, another coworker, something that you felt a little bit, you know, maybe made you a little blush a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, it was back when I had Red River Hog, and we had uh, some piglets, and we would build a creek. 
which I loved just sitting in there in the creek with them so the parents could see them, everything was safe, and but you could get in there without you know, having the parents be aggressive towards you. And it was the best thing because it was a way to tame the piglets. And I always found that if you, they didn't want to be touched, but if you could rub their bellies, they couldn't control themselves, they'd flip over. They just, something about rubbing their bellies. And so I would sit in there within two days, I'd have them in my lap. And <laughs> I had four of them sitting in my lap. And I don't know if you've ever seen Baby Red River Hawk, yeah. but they have horrible teeth. Yeah. Like, nasty teeth and they're sitting in my lap and one literally clamped onto my left breast oh, <laughs> and i'm in a creep on exhibit <laughs> and there's people out there and i'm like please tell me you can't see this far and it wouldn't let go and i literally just had to cry his little mouth open and put him back down and because i had the perfect impression of little teeth <laughs> on my breast <laughs> it's just bruising but it was perfect row of every one of his teeth he bit that hard pigs but that was rude i felt for their mothers after that because i'm like you know this is why i'm putting creams on the mothers because <laughs> these little babies would just tear them apart i don't know why he thought he could do it but yeah. he thought that that was perfectly acceptable oh my and gosh like, okay lesson learned <laughs> there's always a few lesson learned you know you pay attention enough with these guys that's awesome gotta have an embarrassing monkey story yeah they pinch <laughs> they just, <laughs> i was just the other day was trying to get uh, we have vervets for anyone who's worked with vervets they're um rude little monkeys and trying to get the mom had a wound on on her chest i was trying she's holding the baby and i'm trying to get it up for the vet but the whole time i'm getting pinched by the young one pinching my arms i went home with pinch marks on my arms literally because he was you know i couldn't get her to reach up but it, the problem is we, they can reach through a lot of our holding you oh, know yeah. their hands get through which yeah. sometimes is fun sometimes it's not but i've had many a times hair pull actually i remember on my first loan which was with birds up off exhibit thank goodness but there was i think some type of mina and he was a little rude so he was hand raised. So he had no fear. And I was just on my own. I didn't know anything about birds. And, and he would sit there and make me think I was hearing voices because he would mumble like yeah, people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'd be looking, oh, my God, was watching me. And there was nobody. And he would do the beep, beep of trucks backing up. Well, one day he just got on my head and wouldn't let go. And I'm literally swinging upside down trying to get him off my head. Just going like, you know, stop this. I don't want to call for help. I don't want to look stupid. You know, just get off my head. And Finally got him off, and later the keeper whose string it was is calling down, hey, is he okay? And I'm like, hair's all over the place. No, it's fine. It's fine. No problem today. Just uh, keep on going. You know, there's a lot of things like that. Um, animals yeah. get you one way or the other. The primates especially just because they are so, um, you know, they can reach through. Yeah. They're just so smart. Yeah, Connie was telling the story on the first episode about how, um, well, I forget which kind of monkey it was now. Uh, but uh, it grabbed her hair, like threatened from the public area, and just slammed her head against the cage, yes. and then walked away with two big clumps of hair. <laughs> I missed some hair due to a capuchin, actually. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, and I, you know, she just she didn't get along with her cage mate very well, and I finally realized because I thought I just cannot dislike a monkey. I can't dislike an animal I work with. I just can't. And so I'm like, I'm gonna love her if it kills me. <laughs> and because she was just poor thing was misunderstood and they're so intelligent and so i finally just because she would reach through and nobody liked her because she would get people and you're just like you'd be wrapping up the hose and i'd just come from working tigers i wasn't used to having animals that could reach through right. you know we don't have that with tigers yeah. you know otherwise you're going to be in deep trouble yeah and so i would always get so mad i'm like you need to stop that but i also knew i needed to pay more attention i just um was a different uh, train of thought with those animals and i finally just taught her to give me her feet and her tail and groom her and after that, oh, we fell in love with each other. After that was great because she just wanted somebody to give her attention and to touch her. And once I gave it her a safe way to do it, then every time she saw me, she would just, it was like, oh, there's Rochelle. I need to go hang out yeah. with Rochelle. And if somebody else would even come near me or touch me, she would scream at them. She's defensive for you. Yeah, because she was like, no, no, you. Rochelle's mine. Yeah. And people would be like, no, no, I'm going to touch Rochelle. She's like, don't. 
So now she's at another zoo. But yeah, she she was one of those that, you know, you just have to make that extra effort. With some animals, it's a little tougher to love them. Yeah, I, I have always had kind of a soft spot for animals with attitude, you know, like mm -hmm. they get a bad, not necessarily a bad rap, but, you know, people like them a little less, maybe pay them a little bit less attention. And mm -hmm. I've always felt that like a connection with those guys because maybe it's because I'm a little bit of a hard to get along <laughs> with myself. So uh, well, when you make so. that bond with them, you just feel like you've done so yeah, much more. And, totally. And otters, I just used to, I had otters that um, I always kind of played with the babies and I would clean with them on exhibit. It was a mixed species exhibit. And. A lot of people didn't like to do that, but I'm like, no, no, this is where I get to see them, you know, see what they do instead of leaving them locked up while I go clean. And, you know, they would follow me. And I had this one little girl and she just, um, she would feel safe around the whole, she got underneath this one log and she'd roll over and I'd rub her belly. And of that, she wouldn't let me rub her belly. But every day, and if I was in a hurry, she'd be like, no, 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 you're going to rub this belly. You don't have time mm -hmm. to go away. You need to stay here. And then she ended up going to an aquarium for a couple of years and they called me one day to cure this and she pouts. Yes, she does. <laughs> it's probably my fault. I probably taught her that. But if you didn't do what she wanted, she would pout. And uh, I said, "What'd you do?" She goes, "I closed it on my face." She didn't want that door closed. But it was just so funny that she called me up the last said, "Yeah, your your animal pouts." I'm like, "I know." Yeah. You know, they just you know, if I didn't train the otters some mornings, like no one else trained them, only me. And my my beliefs didn't want to do it, and that was fine. But they got so used to me doing it that one day I was in a hurry and I just tossed them a meatball, and they just looked at me. They looked at the meatball. Are you asking to do something? They're like, we're, and they never don't eat. And they're like, no, no, we're not just going to eat. You need to train us. Yeah. They wanted we to want be to trained. Work for this. Yeah. So I literally reached in and right in front of these otters and took their meatball and they had to train them. They teach you that, you know, they have certain expectations each day. Absolutely. And that was always the fun part is when they would show me something that would make them you know, be so exasperated. Like, no, that's not how we do this. We want what you normally do with us. Right. And then you just, then, you, then you're in love and you're like, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Like they need me. They actually need me. They do. And that's the main thrill of the job is when you reach that point where you have that, you know, mm -hmm. that bond. Okay. So kind of dovetailing off of there a little bit, I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit of a story that might tug on your heartstrings a little bit. Am I going to cry? I hope not. <laughs> and and if you don't want to, don't mm -hmm. feel like you don't. But I remember that uh, a certain drill, Opal, had uh, a very special place in your heart. I tear up now. And, yeah. Uh, I've met her a couple of times. I remember... You're like, hey, put on this ring. She likes to check out rings. And I was a little bit nervous about putting my hand in there, but she was just she no the teeth. sweetest. She had no teeth and she was the sweetest thing. So maybe talk a little bit about that animal in particular and, you know, your particular bonds that you had with her. And Opal, yeah, she was one of our, she was our last thrill at the zoo. And she was in her early 30s when we just lost her. Gosh, February was a year. I still think of her and I wish I'd gotten to go. She had no teeth. And so she would grin at you if she liked you. And something about walking in, that silly grin with no teeth would just melt your heart every yeah. day. And I would bring people in like, you'd come see her. And they were always kind of freaked out, like, well, you're opening a door. I'm like, she can't hurt you. She's in her 30s. She has no teeth. Yeah. And it's one of the few, you know, we don't get to be hands-on with most of our animals. So she was, you know, I would go shopping on my weekends because she loved stuffed uh, animals because she didn't have any other cage mates. And right. so, you know, she that was her, her group. And so she was so funny. She would, when I first learned the spring, she didn't trust me because she didn't know me, but you would, you know, clean outside and kick her outside so you could clean the bedrooms. And she would grab her babies and look at you like, don't you touch them. <laughs> and she would walk out. Well, a week and a half later, she's like looking at me. She'd walk out and she'd be like, you can bring my babies out now. And she would just give you this look like she was queen. I think I called her Queen Opal. And she would just be like, okay, bring it out now. Because if you didn't take her babies out, she was quite upset. And so I was always trying to find new babies for her. And sometimes they would get thrown outside. You know, it's a little old arthritic thrill, but she didn't like it. She'd throw it outside. And she loves sparkly rings. 
not gaudy. So people would give me some rings. I'm like, no, she didn't like that. That was tacky. But she just loved. So I had certain rings that I would leave in there for her, the cubic zirconia, of course. And yeah. she just loved them. You couldn't leave them with her because I think she would have eaten them. But <laughs> she would just lip smack and touch them. And one time she actually put her mouth over it because she wanted it so badly. And that was what was content with her. But even I could buy her all these things. And I would be sitting in there grooming her because she liked to be groomed. But you could not touch her babies. It was like she'd be grooming her babies, I'd be grooming her, and if I would reach over, and even the day we lost her, as sick as she was, I said, can I touch your baby? And she would just look at you and pull it away. No, you cannot. <laughs> you're allowed to buy it for me. You are not allowed to touch it unless Aww. you're putting it outside. Jeez. And she's just one of those that, you know, you'd go out and you'd buy fleece for her bed, and you'd be, you would just buy things because you just wanted to make her as comfortable, as happy as possible. Yeah, one of those animals that she'll never forget your entire life, for no, sure. Yeah. She she got in there, and she was a tough one. Yeah. I still tear up thinking about her because yeah. she was just so sweet. But when she had an old lady rant, forget it. <laughs> when her and Sher was gone, and one time I luckily had a witness, and she just starts throwing her bowl, and I'm like, you're old, and I threw it. She's like, I'm mad. <laughs> I'm like, all right. She's the one that, you know, she's like, yes, you, you have to love primates. <laughs> right, for sure. I'm not sure that most people, uh, especially people that don't know anything about zookeepers, really know. I mean, they know we scoop poop for a living. You know, that's kind of like a, a stigma we have. We're the poop scoopers. But in addition to that, we do kind of a lot of nasty, gross things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, for example, we collect urine and fecal samples for, for testing or, um, you know, routine uh, exams or even sometimes uh, just to measure hormone levels and things like that. Do you have any, like, particularly, like, maybe the grossest thing you've ever had to do as a zookeeper that... Even us, we're kind of desensitized to things like that. Like people will start talking about diarrhea, and you know the room will like, like just shut down and shock. Why are you talking about that? But keepers are just like, oh, whatever. It's a daily, it's a daily thing. thing. It's important but, uh, to know. <laughs> there's been a been a few things that I've done that even me, I'm like, uh, I don't really want to do that. Is there any uh, anything like that for you? They used to laugh at me because I think I have a problem with certain bodily fluids. I just don't like gelatinous stuff. <laughs> thing. And so when I was first doing otter diets and dealing with the squid and having to cut fish. Oh, I would yeah. sit there and almost start to oh, yeah. vomit. I'd gag and they'd laugh at me. And I got over that because I did it every day. But I remember on a copy once giving birth and they're like, Rochelle, squeegee that floor, you know, get all that. And After I'm like doing out. it, but I'm like gagging the whole time. And I'm like, I this is disgusting for me. I don't know. But... The worst, like, collection of fecal, because after a while, you don't really care about yeah. feces. It's just, it's what you just do. It's what it is. Um, someone was laughing at me, like, at home, and they just picked up their bride dog, you know, poop with their hand, and her husband was like, that's disgusting. She's like, honey, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but he did but I was, it was a taper. I mean, you know, tapers leave a, a lot. Bit, a little bit smelly. And you could, I could even handle that. That didn't bother me so much. It was the fact that I had to literally go in this huge pile and swirl it all around to get all the hormones possible. So you couldn't just <laughs> take a little piece. Right. And I'm sitting there, you know, getting the big heavy duty gloves on and just like, and pulling it to try yeah. to test if, you know, our old girl was viable. Oh, and that was a little bit much, you know, because you're like, wow. But yeah, a lot of it's um, the bodily fluids. When I, you know, nobody believed places because I, I still actually even a couple of years ago was volunteering at a local place here just to kind of give back and, and they had a lot of cats and they used yeah. to kind of laugh at me because they'd be like oh the butcher's outside you can't go out there are you sure you're a cat keeper and I'm like I, I don't need to see something butchered I you know I don't eat meat myself there's a reason but when it was rabbit day at the zoo I would just toss the rabbits and go because I hated the crunchiness I hated the smell of when they broke open that rabbit and one of the vets one time wanted to see how one of my old girls was eating. And she's like, well, did you save the rabbit so I can see her that? I'm like, she always eats a rabbit. And I just said, here you go. I got to go walk away. She goes, no. I'm like, I can't. I can't. The, the sound, the smell, 
can't do it. You watch her. <laughs> You'll be good to go. Yeah, it's funny that we all have certain, like, certain smells or certain, like, the way things feel that just totally skeeve us out. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, like, it's not even a big deal. I do it every day, have to, like, cut fish and things like that. But just the smell of, like, like uh, uh, defrosted fish, just, like, it'll hit me the wrong way sometimes. And I got to walk outside and get fresh air before I mm -hmm. come back in and finish, you know. Well, my first oh. loan, we're doing the, well, it was the first bird keeper loan. It was after I did food prep. I didn't have to touch rodents or anything. But when I was doing the loan up at APC, we had to skin mice. And that was, it, that was hard for me. And then someone told me the secret of wait until they're half thawed. Yeah. And it doesn't smell as bad, right. and they're, they're not as as squishy, so yeah. it's less chance to... And after that, I was okay. Yeah, I, I like to cut my little mice when they're still frozen. <laughs> yes, I don't blame you, because it's... Yeah, totally. There's some things we shouldn't do. I don't eat meat for a reason. I can feed out meat, but I prefer just giving the tubes the... Right, right, <laughs> Even right. that, I got over that, but I was like, God. Yeah. That's kind of tough. But monkeys, you know, some of them really smell, and some of them aren't so bad, but I can tell. I, I get used to not working with one type, and then I go to them, I go, okay, I got to get used to the smell again. I think one of my worst smells that that just would make make me get nauseous all the time was when I had to work a, a waterfowl aviary, like just herons and egrets, and you know, because they eat the fish that you don't like the smell of feeding anyway, and then they're, you know, they just they just defecate on everything, and it just all stinks. Oh, it's it's like walking by a flamingo pond. Yes, you're like, wow. just like wow, that's really stinky. Yep. it's pretty bad. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. That would be tough. I we would get used to it because we get used. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. So I wanted to highlight a point here real quick, uh, just because you're the we've had three shows. This is the third show, and all three guests that we've had so far have in addition to their job of getting paid to be, to work with animals, they've also volunteered for you know to give back a little bit. And I really think that that should show that you know animal care professionals for the most part are in it for the right reasons. Even when we're not getting paid for it, we're still taking care of these animals and showing them that kind of stuff. And that's something I really wanted when I started thought about uh, creating this podcast was I wanted to highlight the people that actually care for the animals in light of um, all the negative press with blackfish. And um, now I've heard there is a, there is a, a quote unquote blackfish movie in the works for the zoo industry as well. So if you feel like it, or if you want to, you know, maybe comment on how, you know, that kind of, well, I mean, I, we're obviously biased, but I kind of feel like it's very propaganda-ish. Like there's a clear agenda when these kind of things are released. And so I don't know if you want to talk about how those kind of things make you feel, like what you felt when you saw the movie Blackfish, you know, any kind of thoughts you had on like the negative aspect that people say, you know, these animals need to be in the wild. They have to be, they can't be in captivity. Just release them. Um, you know, like I feel like the general public doesn't really understand that you can't just release animals back to the wild. That's just not something you can do. The mission of zoos have changed a lot from becoming like, you know, they were entertainment things. They were people, hey, come and look at the cool animals behind bars. And they're just in a concrete thing. And it wasn't really about the animals, about the people seeing these animals. And now we've gone forward to we're very conservation and education minded now. And I really feel like these pictures like Blackfish and whatever these new ones coming out don't really take that part of the profession into account. So if you have any thoughts on on any of all of that stuff, uh, feel free to just kind of take the floor. I actually never saw Blackfish. Okay. I didn't want to. What I wish these organizations would do is take the platform and the money that they have and try to save animals out in the wild. They all tend to just forget we don't have a place to leave these animals anymore. Right. There just isn't anything. There's not a wild it's anymore. It's horrible out there. I just read a thing how a poor rhino who had already had her horn taken off, they killed her and poached her for the inch or two that was left. There's not a safe world for them. And the only thing that we have 
now are zoos that are going to save these animals, save the species, hopefully. But, you know, I feel that people need to see things in order to want to save them. That's the thing. And so that's my role as a zookeeper. Would I love to not have a job and have any animal, every animal happy and healthy out in the wild? I would give it up in a minute. But we don't have that. And people, if they can't see it or touch it, they don't want to save it. They don't want to make the changes each day of, you know, we could all look at everything in our life we could take, uh, we don't really need. And that would help because every product you have, it has a source and it affects animals out in the mm-hmm. wild. And people don't want to think that. What you, But yeah, I just, I wish these companies and these places would just go work, save the environment so we have animals out there. We can't just release what we've got. But there's not going to be anything for these because you know that, I mean, I guess I don't know 100% that this is what's happening, but you have to think that, you know, the producers of Blackfish are using the revenue from that film to go and make more films, you know, along the same lines or create, you know, more opposition to zoos instead of, hey, if we really care, why aren't you using these revenue to, you know, maybe Blackfish would have had a different message if they said something like, we're taking the proceeds from this film and putting it towards, you know, well, for that, for orcas, I guess, for some kind of orca conservation program or something like that. What are so, they doing with them? So, what, where is that? Yeah, that's my question, too. So, yeah, so I just kind of feel like one of the impetuses for making the show was to be able to put it out there that, hey, now the people that actually work for the animals that do it, you know, we're, we're on the day to day, we're on the front lines doing the actual work, taking care of the animals and making sure they have a good life. So, I think that's really important for, to highlight here. It is because every day you make a little bit of a difference. I can tell when I make a difference with my animals. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, my management doesn't see that. That's that's me. And I just, that's what I need to know that I've done each day. Yeah. And that's what my main job is because we're the voice for the animals. You know, the vets can come down to your manager and come down. They're not going to see that an animal may not be feeling well because they're not going to show it to them. They're going to show it to the person they see every day in nature. Right. So I think all organizations need to give back to what we have in the wild because there's no point in saving a lot of things if we don't have a place for them to go. Yeah, and that's one of the really things that I do enjoy about San Diego Zoo specifically is that we have so many conservation programs and the fact that we do, you know, above our operating costs, send money back to the wild. And I've met researchers that work in uh, with Andy and Bears for San Diego. Uh, I've met researchers that work in other parts of the thing. And, you know, I got an opportunity to work with the United States Geological Survey to do a study that directly helps wild counterparts. So anyway, I know I'm kind of rehashing things, but I just wanted to highlight that, you know, we're in it for the right reasons. We're doing it for the right reasons. And and I hope that the general public can look past, you know, the the films like Blackfish that have a lot of money to throw around. Yeah, they don't Um, see that we're doing overnights with our animals, that we're working holidays. You know, even if our zoo's open every day, but even if they weren't, and I've worked at zoos that haven't been, we still have to come in every day. Oh yeah, we're the, we're there on Christmas morning. We're there at Christmas. I've I've done overnights on Christmas Eve, whereas myth I've missed Christmas Eve and Christmas morning with my family before. Exactly. So we we sacrifice a lot, quite a bit. Yeah, well, our job is you know we're taking care of animals. We're, I don't want to get you know, involved in a lot of other stuff, but it it's that's not my job. And so to take it out on us, yeah, is not or the animals is not a good thing. I agree. As we think about wrapping up here, is there any? Let's get back to the. The, one of the other goals of the podcast, and that's helping new people get into the field. Do you have any specific advice for people that maybe think that they want to do it and, and maybe what the first step should be towards getting um, a possession or a position at a zoo? I think it's just kind of what I did is you have to volunteer. You have to be ready to move. You have to do whatever it is they tell you. Look what that, you know, what zoos require now. Go do it. And, and be willing to upgrade. I've got, you know, friends that are around here too that want the job, but they're, you know, it's like, I'm, it doesn't work. You have, sometimes have to step out of your comfort zone and you have to make them, like you've moved many places. Five, five zoos <laughs> to make it work. <laughs> We've done two, yeah. but it's, 
it makes a difference because I've seen people that have only worked at, you know, the zoo we work at now. And I'm like, but you have no clue what it is elsewhere. You right. know, it's good to have that variety and the context. And I never believed a, a friend who was actually a really good mentor to me at, at Dallas and kind of challenged me to step out of the box and do things that other people hadn't done. And I'll, I'll always be thankful to him for that. Is He says it's a small community. And I didn't it believe is. him at first. Well, I don't know anybody else, really. I know one other zoo. But, you know, we all move around enough and you go to conferences and you do those things. But it's be willing to put the work in. People want it to happen quickly, and it doesn't. It doesn't happen fast. Uh, I consider myself pretty lucky that I was able to go right into an internship. But talking to you and the last two guests, you know, they've all had to go through hell to get to where they are. You know, Connie had to, you know, she was in it when, when it was still a very male-dominated society, and she had to face a lot of, like, prejudices against women. Uh, Maury, she had to deal with a language barrier and applying seven times and working like a nightclub job and then going driving two and a half hours overnight to go to school in the morning to make it happen so it's a, you have to be determined you have to really want it and you've got to have the, the work ethic to, to get there so yeah, it's not always simple you know there's more job openings now but there's also more people competing for them yep. back when I was trying it just wasn't jobs mm -hmm. so I just had to go and find out where there were some right well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here, but uh, I like to give the guests the last few minutes to kind of just talk about, you know, whatever you want to, whether you want to tell another story, give some more advice, talk about where the industry is going, whatever it is you might want to talk about. If there's anything you haven't gotten to communicate yet here at the end, if you have anything else you'd like to say. Mostly just take care of yourself and your body. As you and I both know, it wears down, and I, I wish I had done more stretching and other things uh, as I went through it because it's very easy to wear wear down but you know take the time also to talk to the people who've been there a while and learn some of the things because when I think back now and it tries to teach me to have patience with some of the newer keepers is well what was I like you know 18 years ago I didn't know anything I worked hard and I cleaned well but you know I, I started learning the different things in enrichment and, and you know, every day you learn something different so just be open to it because your animals should never bore you they're always going to show you something different no matter what life phase uh, you're in at that point with them there's just always something, so be open, take care of yourself, and just keep going that extra mile. Even on days when you're tired or you don't feel well, your animals still need you, and what you do that day makes a difference to them. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you so much, Rochelle. Um, we'll be back probably next week or maybe the week after that. I'm not sure yet uh, when the next guest is available, but we have some fun uh, people coming up. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. And please, if you can, go on to iTunes and rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. That's how we can continue to get better and continue to grow this thing and get the word out to as many people as possible. So thank you so much. We'll see you in, in a week or two.